Welcome to the Cold World Podcast. Y'all excuse my voice, it sound like I'm getting over something or whatnot, but I don't like the way I sound no way, but it's all good, man. Uh, So I had taken the podcast off and not done it for a little bit, and then I did one to kind of close out the year, and they've been getting some really good reception. Um, so I've been, I kept them going. I kept them going. And then today, um, we got a special guest and I'm really, really interested in learning about this brother and his story. Um, uh, I don't know much about his story personally. And so I'm naturally curious about it. Um, I got Mr. Michael Davis, uh, on the line. Some people probably know him better as Ice Mike, um, or Ice, Ice Mike right now. Um, I like that play on words, man. Brother, how you doing, Mike? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for having me, bro. Man, nah, it's good. It's good to have you. And uh one of the things that one reason that I got Mike on is um I like I like aggressive folks that go at the stuff that, that that's like that that don't wait for life to happen to them. They kind of make it happen. And so the story of how I even saw Mike, so uh a friend of mine posted up uh, something about the podcast and Mike got in the comments was like, yo, how do I get on? Um, like, but it wasn't just like asking the question, how you get on. It was kind of like, it's my time to be on this podcast. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I thought that, I just thought that was dope. And then, um, I, I gave him my email address and we figured out a way to connect. Um, and I'm just curious about his story, man. So before I even go super deep into it, uh, Mike is an author and he's written, uh, four books but three of them are out now and that's deeply rooted and that's deeply rooted one uh two and three is different parts of that man so so mike uh let's talk a little bit about the book man and then let's and then i want to spend the rest of the time talking about the man so tell us a little bit about the book all right uh before we get into the book i want to you know also speak on you know like the way i met you uh the okay. way you up. um you know I, my i got a saying man that nothing comes to a dreamer but good sleep you know yeah you got to go out there and make your dreams come true and um I, when I saw it as an opportunity, you know, presented itself and I took advantage of it. So, you know, that's kind of like my mindset is, uh, you know, a lot of people ain't just doing stuff for you. You know, you got to go out there and, and make them want to do something for you. So that's why I reached out the way I did. I'm trying to, you know, build my brand. And a part of that is linking up with people, you know, connecting with people and networking. So, you know, like I appreciate that, that, uh, that you even took the time out, you know, to give me a bar and, and then to put me on, you know. Oh man, no no problem, man. I, like I said, man, I I I saw it. I saw somebody going after their stuff, man, and that's. I feel like everything I've accomplished in life is 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 coming to me when I've been aggressive, and yeah. so I, I I just responded to it, man. But um, but no worries, man. No worries. Anything ever, any, if there's anything else I can do to even help with this, you keep you you let me know and you keep me in mind, man. And so and and as somebody who's in the middle of writing a book right now, not 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 fiction. I like writing nonfiction books. Um, like, let me know how you kind of like, what, what is this? What's tell me a little bit about your book, man. And especially when you said you had four of them. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna let okay. you take it. I will. Uh, actually I've written 10 books. Total. Um, I have three that are currently in publication, uh, deeply rooted by Mike They're on Amazon, uh, com. You can get those. Uh, it's also on Kindle. Um, I have another book coming out in about a month or so called golden state heavyweights and um basically you know they books of fiction hood books um written on a more intelligent level than the average hood book um i take too much of the storyline but 
It's basically, you know, this dude Jackson King pin for uh, five million dollars, and he buries the money in uh in his mama's backyard under the lemon tree, and uh he, the the dope dealer come looking for him, he end up knocking him down, and from that point on, it's just a whole lot of conflict and drama, and you know, so um I've actually written part four to that book, but uh since I just put three out, like uh book three out a couple about, about six eight months ago, I wanted to give it time to breathe. I want to space it out before I put out book four, so it'll be book four will be coming out uh next year. Oh, that's dope, man. So how did you? So tell me how you got into like writing these books, man. Cause uh, that that as somebody who's in the middle of writing something, uh, that's not an easy task to do. And it sounds like you you knocking them things down. So so give us a little bit of uh, how did you get into this? Uh, um, well, it's it's a weird story, man. Because you know I, I just got out of prison two months ago, literally. I mean, and I just did twenty eight years. I just got out of prison, and uh, I started writing in two thousand and ten. Um, when I was sitting in the hole, I was sitting in a uh, lockdown in a uh, solitary confinement and the dude next, uh, next door to me, you know, he asked me, um, uh, to write a poem for his girl on, on a uh, Valentine's day. Uh, so I did that. I struck up the poem. He liked it. And he. Oh, and uh, the cold part about it is this. Mike, I'm, I'm, uh, I want you to rewind a little bit. It, it froze on you a little bit after you said, um. Uh... You said uh, you wrote the poem and, and they liked it. So what what yeah. happened there? Yeah, after that. Okay, so 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 I wrote the poem for him and and, and it, he was he was like, "Bro, yo your pen game is really you know off the hook. You got you got a nice hand, you know." And uh, so it, you know kind of built built my confidence in interns, but I already knew that I could write. I just had never tried my hand at, at writing anything other than I used to write letters for dudes, you know, to their girls. You know, because I really, you know, I, I felt like I had a, that, that kind of like that, that that gift of gab on paper, you know. But um, this dude was actually like when I gang bang, he was my worst. And I didn't gang bang anymore. I quit gang banging. So you, you know, said he was your worst you know, enemy. Yeah, yeah. Um, opposite hoods, you know, like his hood was was my hood's worst enemy, you know. Mm. But um, gang banging anymore, all that was you know non-existent to me. Now I didn't trip off that. But um, he had wrote a book called Why You Should Not Gang Bang. And he asked me if I was interested in uh, writing a book. You know, so I said no, but he kept badgering me about it. You know, and um, and in the hole, you don't get pens. They they take the pen filler out of the pen and they pass that out to you, you know. So um, he slid me like five pen fillers, man, and said, you know, you should think about writing. You know, I think that you have a gift. And uh, so I think he recognized it before I did, you know, and um. And that's what I, that's how I started. I started writing short stories, you know, in, in the whole 2010. So, man, so you said that they, they don't give you the whole pen. They just, they open the pen up and just take the part out that right and just give you that part to write with. Yeah. Cause you know, like, you know, that, that, that other, that other part of the pen, the stock, mm -hmm. you know, that the pen filler, it goes in can be used as a weapon. So, you know, they take the pen filler out. They, you can't stab nobody with a pen filler, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, um, you know, they very, you know, CDC is like that, but, so what we do is we make our own pen fillers. I mean, uh, our own stocks of pens where we slide, uh, we roll paper up around the pen, tie that up with some string from a sock or something like that. And then, uh, and basically to give you that, 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 that proper, um, you know, stability when you, when you need to write something. So yeah, it's like a built in, uh, ink pen, basically, you know, homemade ink pen. Bro, that's wild. That's, yeah. that's wild fam. Um, so I, and we just talked. We we just dropped that in on people. Like, oh yeah, he just got he just got out of jail. Like, 
two months ago. So let's we gotta like there's a story there, man. So um yeah, no. so you said you was originally from San Diego, man. Just tell me about you and kind of leading up to to um to now, bro. Like what's the story of Mike Davis? All right. Uh well, I'm going to summarize. The summary might be a little long, but I'm going to summarize my, my 49 right now. I just turned 49 on the 4th of this month. So um, I want to I talk about, you know, I have a very good overview of uh, an understanding of my life. So in a nutshell, you know, I, I grew up in a very dysfunctional household, you know, I, very dysfunctional in the sense of, you know, my, 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 my biological father was never around. He was a heroin addict, never around. Um, so my, my stepfather was basically my pop's. And uh, he was a uh, he was a gangster, you know. He was a, a street dude, and he was very abusive to myself, my brother, and my moms. And um, it was it was just a really violent, you know, uh, uh, scene, you know, and and and, uh, and and um atmosphere inside the household, you know. And um, growing up, and um, once I left the household, it was like that violence that was brought to me, I I turned it inside out, and I brought it to other people, you know, because it was encouraged. When I go have a fight and I come in crying. Pops tell me, get your ass out there and, uh, and you know, I don't care if you got to use a stick or rock, beat his ass. So it was like it was I was witnessing violence and I was encouraged to use violence as a way to communicate uh, my, my feelings when, when shit wasn't going my way. So, you know, when I left the house, that that supervision was gone and I started doing my thing, you know, and um, at a young age, I got caught up, started robbing people, uh, got locked up in juvenile hall and ended up doing seven years. I was 13 years old at the time. I did seven years. I got an 18 month sentence. And um, I, I and in YA back then, California Youth Authority, every time you have a fight, every time you have you assault a staff member or something like that, they just tack six months onto your time. Mm. And uh, so from third from the age of thirteen, I ended up uh, staying in YA till I was twenty because I maxed out. And um, I got out when I was twenty, stayed out about a hundred days, and I caught a life sentence. You know, um, I was actually in a pen on kidnap robbery, um. I did 28 years off a seven to life sentence and um, I just got out two months ago. Okay. I mean, so what do you feel like? And, and I, and it's the thing, right? Cause I'm trying to learn about it. I'm trying to also be respectful of the situation, but I'm also not trying to ask cornball questions. So if some kind of, if this do come up as a cornball question, man, it is generally um, me being curious. And I'll tell you why in a second, man, but like, so this is a cornball question alert. <laughs> what do you? <laughs> but what do you think that you learned from that though? What do you think you learned from being behind those walls? Like, like when you came out, was there a sense of like I want something to be different, or I mean, what what was in your head? Well, actually, I don't think that's a cornball question at all, bro. That's probably like a hella, it's hella profound question because uh, mm-hmm. what I did, man, what I learned, man, was that that being a violent thug and a gangster and, and a hoodlum and, 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 a, and, a, and a street savage, so to speak, that that wasn't who I was destined to be. That's what, that's not what I was born to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did is um, around the same time I got in 2010 or so, um, I started really, you know, doing a lot of self inventory and introspection, man, and looking into myself. And I, I involved myself in what they call the rehabilitative process, you know, which is very, you know, ingrained into the prison system now. Uh, in order for dudes who got life sentences to get out, you got to do some rehabilitation, man, because you're going to have to have the right answers when the people ask you those questions. And with me, I just, I really looked in and figured out all the shit that happened in my life that caused me to be the way I was, you know. And once and once I realized that I just had a corrupt belief system, a corrupt set of values, 
you know, I didn't like it. I didn't like mm-hmm. what I was seeing, so I flipped the script and I and I uprooted and basically depro deprogram myself, and then um, you know, I reprogram myself and I, I just exchange all that negative stuff with positive stuff, you know. Right, right, right. Uh, and 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 part of the reason, so just a little bit about me, man. So so a lot of this stuff would make more sense. So I was born in Chicago and moved in between Chicago and Kentucky. So both my parents was in and out of jail. So I visited both my parents behind them walls. And yeah. it wasn't until my grandmother passed away when we were in Kentucky. Um, my mom ended up going back to jail a little bit after that. And my dad had family out here in the Bay. And we came out here on Greyhound. And then, uh, you know, my mom eventually came out here. And my dad, you know, he went down again. And he he since changed his life and stuff like that. But it's interesting because y'all kind of favor a little bit. So yeah. it I'm like listening to you. I mean, I kind of it, it kind of would have been dope if I would have had y'all two talking, right? Because just kind of that experience. But you took me back when I'm listening to you. Like I remember getting the letters in the mail from my dad with the little designs drawn on the uh, the envelope, and then open it up, yeah. and you know. But in the letters, it'll always be about how my pops want to do better. But in my yeah. mind, I'm just like, nigga, you keep going back though. So yeah. like, so yeah. I I think um, you know, and then my parents got clean when I was in middle school, and they, I mean, they've been like, if you meet Mister and Mrs. Cole now, it's a totally different, it's it's a totally different energy. And and I had yeah. this, uh, I mean, I had this beef with my parents, yo, and my friends that I made in middle school and high school, like they don't know, they didn't, they didn't know that world right they didn't know my parents back then they just knew my parents had like they just knew i had i was a kid with a dad on the block which was you know and so like my pops actually ended up becoming like the pops for a few other of my friends that didn't have pops you know what i'm saying so it's interesting because i'm I'm trying to understand like when you behind those walls and you don't have kids do do you have kids Actually, man, I got I got a really fucked up situation, man. In terms of that, man, I got a twenty eight year old son. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I ain't spent the day in the free world with him. Like, you know, his mother his mother was pregnant with him like two months when I got locked up. Hmm. So, um, I visited him maybe like five or six times the whole time I was incarcerated. And um, now he in Georgia. He currently he he locked up and he facing a stretch, you know. So. I mean, me being damn near 50, man, he facing 30 years. I may never spend a day in society with my son, you know, and that's mm. that's fucked up, you know. But, uh, yeah, I got a 28-year-old son, man, and um, I'm in contact with him. I'm just trying to get his mind right, too, you know, trying to help him and guide him in the direction of all the steps that I took in order to reform my thinking. I want him to do the same thing or something similar, man, so that he can become his the true man he's supposed to be, you know? Right, right, right. I mean, so what – so, I mean, man, I – so I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting juxtaposition of you being the father, having this conversation with your son and then me having this conversation with my pop. So like, you know, it took a minute, man. It took a while for me to be able to actually like, it took for me being grown, going through life and and just kind of being able to, to, to have to take care of stuff on my own to like really be able to appreciate both my parents the way yeah. that I should. Right. Like, so like, so my dad, you feel me? Like I was angry, bro. Like I was an angry dude. The way I'm sure that there was moments in your son's life where he was like angry. Yeah. And and when he came out of jail, like my dad was super strict with me, right? Like so he wasn't like I didn't I didn't go out and stay out and get messed up at the party cuz my dad was a big dude and could put hands on me. I'm gonna just keep it 
<laughs> all the way real, right? And I would just be mad and it'd just be like, bro, you done did all this stuff. Like, how you like own me like this, right? But yeah. I mean, but my life has turned out in a different type of way. Like, he didn't have to know all the school stuff to make sure that I was like, like on a certain path, right? Yep, and yep. so I didn't really realize that. So let me just say a little bit about him. My dad is a Chicago dude. The way I'm an Oakland guy, like I know all of Oakland, this is my home. My dad loves Chicago. All his yeah. friends are there. Everybody he grew up with is there. Like everything he knows. But I also think that my dad looked at his son, his his kids. He got it's, it's me, my brother, and my sister, and was like, "My kids not built for that. Like my kids are not like, like there's a street aspect that I think that my dad misses. To be honest with you, I I, I like I was um bro. I went to Paris right, and my parents was in Chicago, and I flew out to Chicago, and they stayed an extra day. And it was the first time as an adult, like I go to Chicago a lot and my parents go to Chicago a lot, but it was the first time I got to kick it with my dad as an adult in his hometown. Wow. And then it's just like, oh man, like you actually, you might've been messing up along the way, but you actually did do the best you could do with what what you you had, had, right? So, So when you finally got a chance to talk to your son, about this stuff and about his decisions, right? Like what, like what was that conversation like? What was the first conversation like? Well, I mean, originally, like when he first got out a few years ago, um, he because he had did like a four year stretch. When he got out, you know, I mean, we it was just a joy to talk to him to be able to communicate with him as a grown mm. man, you know, because when he went in, he was a kid. When he got out, he was a grown man, and to be able to have it, like to hear his voice, he more mature now, you know. And uh, I just, I was, I was proud of him, and, and he tried to do the right thing. I mean, he. He converted to Islam uh, while he was incarcerated. He uh, he started working jobs when he got out, but the system in Georgia they didn't they didn't they kicked him out of prison. No money, you know, no dry, no ride anywhere, none of that, you know. So it's like it was almost you was doomed to fail in a sense if you hadn't truly committed yourself to that change, mm. you know. And at that time he hadn't. He wanted to change, but I don't think he really knew how to change, you know. So so um once he. Once he got discouraged after about a year or so with the way that his PO was treating him and all that, he just reverted back to what he knew best, you know, and that was that criminality, you know, that mm. criminal mind thinking and uh and um and they landed him back in prison, you know. But our conversations, man, was was good because it was a mature, grown man conversation to where I can I can really holler at him about, you know, man, I apologize from the bottom of my heart for not being there for you because I understand that a lot of the shit you're going through right now whether you acknowledge it or not, is a result of me not being there, you know? Mm. And I get that. I get that. And I think he, and he, he said he got it, you know, and I believe that. And, um, and he dealing with the same thing with his daughter. He got a nine year old daughter and, and, um, now he's been locked up down there all her life, you know? So he's repeating the cycle and I'm trying hard to, to, to figure out a way to break this cycle in our family with my father having been locked up in a heroin addict for most of my life. I didn't do the same thing. I just don't use drugs, but I did the same thing for my son all of his life. And now he doing it for his daughter. He locked up for, for all of her life, you know? So we're trying to break that cycle, man. This is ridiculous, you know, because, you know, since we speaking on this, like one of the parts of my book that I, I, I kind of tap into a little bit is, is, um, post-traumatic slave syndrome, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't really like beat people over the head with the message, but I just, I just subtly introduce it into the storyline. And, and a lot of our thinking, man, comes from that, that that slaves, you know, we 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 hate ourselves, we hate each other, right? You know, and don't even realize some of the decisions that we making. You know, it it, it comes from it's generational, you know, uh, trauma. You know, and um and and I'm trying to I'm trying to disconnect that. I'm trying to cut that off so that my granddaughter 
and and any other uh, uh, people in my lineage, man, don't keep making them the same choices and, and and decisions that we was making, you know? Right. Nah, I mean, I appreciate that. I think, and it's it's it's, it's so crazy, bro. Like when we get off, I'll show you a picture of him because y'all look and sound alike. Like you look like you 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 look like him. Like y'all could be brothers, right? Y'all kind of talk a lot. Y'all yeah. y'all talk similar, and like so with my pops, man, it was so. So we had those conversations and I was just like angry. Like, so my parents was both on drugs. So my book is a, it's called crack baby residue. Right. And it's talking about kind of what you're talking about. It's talking about, uh, I just, I'm a hip hop dude. And I remember when in, in, in the nineties and two thousands, everybody was dropping out about being drug dealers and all that stuff. And it was like, yeah, I'm not, I don't have that story. I ain't never touched drugs in my life. Like I, I respect drugs and I'm afraid of it because I see what they can do. But yes. nobody, I felt like nobody was being honest about like being in that system and like like growing up afraid of that stuff. Like I don't, like I don't go to jail now. Like I don't, I'm not. Vi- my friends know. Like I'm not visiting you in jail. Like I'm never. I'm just not going. I'm just <laughs> not going behind the walls. I done sat and talked to my mama behind the walls. I done talked to my dad behind the walls. And after that, I was just like, yeah, I'm never doing that again. And yeah. so. But my dad, like you said, if you're talking about repeating the system, like I don't have children, but my dad is a hard man. And what I mean by that is like my dad did the uh, he went to the military. He was a Marine. And so when my father would tell me to do stuff, he would tell me to do stuff like, yeah, boy, you better go do that homework. You know what I mean? Like kind of that piece. But, you know, it wasn't until I got to spend time. I remember I didn't know my grandfather super well. Um but I, I can remember times being with my grandfather. My grandfather was a hard man too. Like yeah. every man around my pops was a hard dude. His brother did Vietnam. He came yeah. home and his brother was like maybe, I, my uncle Skipper's maybe like 15 years older than my dad. He's a lot older than my dad and kind of helped in the raising. So it's like, they just hard people, right? You know what I'm saying? I think my dad was doing his best to kind of be um if he could articulate the stuff, he was basically saying, boy, you're not going to do the stuff that I did to like have to deal with what I have to deal with right now. And yeah. so, but I think where I was robbed is like, I'm blessed because my father just being there, whether he did it, did it well or not, his presence meant that I wouldn't do certain stuff. I just didn't like my friends would go out, smoke all night and not come home. Cause they live with their granny and they come home. Ain't nothing happening. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, where would you at? Like, you're asking questions. You know what I'm saying? But it's different when, bruh. So <laughs> my brother makes fun of me about this, right? Like, every boy got that moment where they kind of nut up on their pops. Like, <laughs> you yeah. know, when you, I was, I was like 15. Fuck up on him. Yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, and I'm already upset about stuff. He was telling me about, so my pops was like, uh, and we did this on the show one time. Me and my brother, my brother told the story. It's funnier when he tell it because I don't remember it being this damn funny. But they was like, he was, I came, I came home and he was like, do these dishes. And I was like, I ain't touched no dish. I ain't, I ain't, ain't no food. I ain't did nothing. I'm like, but I ain't doing no dishes, man. Yeah. And he was like, I'm sorry, what, what was that? Like, <laughs> and my boy Will, who's like my brother, was there. He was like, hey man, just, just do the dishes. I was like, no, nah, I ain't doing no dishes. And I think before I could finish the sentence. My 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 chest was caved in, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I think that, I mean, I laugh at that stuff now, but just like I said, just that fact of like, 
I know it's certain lines I won't cross. Yeah. Cause that dude is there. Yeah. Um, and then I was, I spent so much time being angry and upset about all the, all the shelters and all the visits and all that stuff that I didn't, I didn't look at the blessing that I had where it was like the other 15 of my homies, bro. Like my house ended up being a spot, right? Like, yeah. like they yeah. didn't have that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like my homies that ended up like in a gang and kind of selling D and I ended up getting shot. Like a few of them ended up dying. And my dad knew all these people, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, oh, you're not just different because you like special, bro. Like, there were things that there were people in your life that was like making sure you didn't do certain things. So I don't know, man. It's just interesting. I'm trying to because what I'm trying to do is take your story and I and and I'm listening to how you are like reflecting on where your son is now and now that your son has a child. And like I feel like you're really wrestling with like how do we break this cycle when all we talk are these things, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I know, I know breaking the cycle is, is, I mean, I'm committed to that. You know, that's, it's going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just around changing your beliefs, changing your values, man. If if all your shit is corrupt and it's, and it's, and, 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 and you have that criminal thinking or that, or that corrupt, you want to take advantage of people and, and, and be manipulative and, mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, uh, make people fear you and all that kind of shit. You know, if that's, if that's what you believe, then that's the kind of dude you're going to be. Your actions is going to speak for it. You know? So my thing is, is I no longer have that type of thinking within myself, you know? Um, I got that pro-social mentality, man, where I want to do the right thing just because it's the right thing to do, you know, and, and I want to, I want to share that with my son and figure and show him how I got to that point because man, I was a very, I was a very evil, manipulative dude. You know, I mean, I would take advantage of you anytime I could. I didn't trust nobody. Um, you know, I'd steal from you, man. I'd take from you, man. I'd harm you if I had to. I was that kind of dude, man. And, um, I got tired of living like that, you know, but my mm-hmm. father was like that. And my stepfather was like, man, the dude was a gangster. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare raise my voice at him. You know, I mean, you say right. you bucked up on your pops, man. I, my pops would have slid me all the way across the room, you know? So I never, uh, I never, I mean, I never right. even thought about, you know, raising my voice to him. Although I had that same kind of anger as you had, you know, but I had anger because I used to witness this dude put his hands on my mom's. You know, he used to beat my ass with everything he can get his hands on. And I mean, he, he did some horrible shit to me, man. I mean, he, he, you know, there were times where he beat he beat me, man, and put me behind the refrigerator because I wouldn't stop crying, you know. And and I was like five, six years old when this was happening. And that refrigerator, being in that, behind that refrigerator, man, it didn't move. It wouldn't move. And I'm stuck back there, man, just crying. And that's like probably the scariest time in my life, you know. I remember those are like some of my earliest memories, man, and they were the scariest time of my life. So I feared that dude from from day one as far as I'm concerned, you know. And I haven't really forgiven him, you know. I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't forgiven him, and and um, because he to this day he ain't apologized for how he conducted himself. Now my mother, on the other hand, on the other hand, we we kind of conversed about it, dealt with it, and moved on. But my step pops, man, I ain't really got, I don't really have a relationship with him right now. So I, I kind of still, you know, I because he might feel like, man, look, shut up, man, up, deal with it. You know, it is what it is, and if and if that's his men- mentality. You know, I, I, I'm not cool with that, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to let that alter my course in life. You feel me? I mean, I already made the decision that this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. So that wouldn't change anything, but it would just it would feel good to know that he recognized that the error in his ways, you know? Yeah. And and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure my pops did want to slide me. That was probably his attempt to uh, <laughs> try to be, like put like this. I didn't that that was the last time that I, I uh, 
that that happened, right? Um, but I, but I, I get what you're saying. So, but we, so I mean, we're talking about manhood. So, where's he from? Where, where was y'all living in San Diego at the time? Yeah, San Diego. Yeah, he's Southeast San Diego, born and raised. Okay, so. I mean, we talk about folks doing the best with the tools that they got. I mean, thinking about South San Diego, thinking about S- Chicago or like Maywood, the, sub- the suburb in Chicago or like Oakland. I mean, we also talking about a time where when you outside, if if another man see you kind of being weak, you lunch meat, right? You know what I mean? So, yeah. So, I mean... But what it sounds like, you ever, you, you know, like growing up in the hood, when you see somebody that fight dogs and yeah. this, this going into cultural stuff, what, when you was talking about being behind the refrigerator, like I've walked in that house where dogs were either being trained or have been trained before. And when they see that master come in, like they, they kind of, you know, they, they sit up different or whatever. It kind of hide a little bit. Cause yeah, they yeah, submit, they, they submit, su- they submit. Right. And that's kind of what it sounds like. It sounded like. Like that, like the breaking in of like a dog, right? Like preparing that dog for the world. And then when you unleash that dog in that ring with somebody or un- on the world, you know what I'm saying? It's a beast. And yeah. the only way that, that 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 you stop that beast when it's time for that to retire that dog. Put him in a cage. They they put him in a cage or they put him down, yeah. right? Absolutely. Or they put him down. And for the folks that's listening, this is the other thing. Like I have a wide variety of folks that watch this, right? And a lot of people know me, so I'm finished. I got a I got a master's degree. I'm finishing up a doctorate. I work in education. So, like, there's a lot of people that's listening. I got a lot of black folks that listen that's from where we from. Yeah. But there's also a lot of people that's hearing stuff for the first time. And I, I'm glad we're getting to have this conversation because it allows you to peek into a little bit of the psychology. And I, and, and I also, and what I'm trying to do is also be very careful in the sense of, Honoring my dad, honoring you, and even yeah. on some level, even though y'all didn't work that out, honoring that stepdad, um, and 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 not in a way that exalts these folks, but but there is a familiarity with that type of mindset around what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a black man? How do you how do you raise a black man? And yeah. it's, and in some cases, you talk to break that man down. To then kind of rebuild them up, you know what I mean? I, and and, and that, like I said, bro, that go back to that that generation, slave. that generation, yeah, that generational uh, uh, trauma. Where I mean, that's that's what they did to us three, four, five, four hundred mm-hmm. years ago. That's what they did to us, you know. And 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 a lot of that is ingrained in our in, in our system, and we don't even recognize that. We don't right. even know this. So we're we're repeating this cycle all these generations later, you know. And and, and that's that is real shit. And uh, like I read a book, um, um. Uh, what, what's the sister's name? Uh, Ava DuVernay, I believe her name is. Uh-huh. Ava DuVernay, and then Michelle. She she was doing stuff on Michelle Alexander's book. Exactly, the new Jim Crow. Yeah. So I mean, mm-hmm. I was reading this stuff, and I'm like, man, all of this apply to me, man. It's, I don't like myself, and and I couldn't admit that then, but I didn't like it. I understand now, but then I didn't like myself because of, and, and I didn't recognize that it was because I was black. It's just I had been brainwashed thinking that I was lesser than, um, that I wasn't as valuable, that I didn't, that I didn't mean to the, um, as much to the world as, 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 as people who were white and stuff like that. So I grew up with that watching TV and you always seeing these certain images and, and, and you get brainwashed, you know, mm-hmm. and thinking a certain kind of thing. And, you know, and I recognize having gone through the change and everything, this, this really rehabilitate myself. I recognize that, man, my father, had to have went my stepfather had to have went through some serious shit 
for him to feel the need to beat on me with extension cords and a, and mm-hmm. a, and a, and, a, and a put me behind a refrigerator. He dudes just don't grow up like that. You know, something has to happen in your life that makes you, you know, respond like that and react like that. So I don't know what he was going through where he didn't feel like he had enough power and control growing up, but he exerted that dominance and that power and control in a household. And, and I understand that. So I don't release him of, of, of his responsibility, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm not tripping on him anymore. I mean, I can have a grown man conversation with him, and then I, but I would get it off my chest and let him know how fucked up and damaged I am and was because of what he was doing to me, you know? Right. And, um, but, but at the same time, that, that all that pain and that hurt and that shame and that anger that, that I, that I got from that and from my experiences in life, that's what allows me to be a good writer. You know, that's what allows me to dig deep into my, into my spirit, man, and and pull out, you know, emotions and feelings and, and pains that, the average dude who ain't been through it can't do it, you know. Right. So, so I, I pull from that. That's a pull. That's a resource pull for me, and um, and I'm able to to really develop my characters on a deeper level because I've been through some shit. You know, I've been I've been hurt, and I and I and I and, I, and I've been angry, man, and I'm beyond the average, you know. Mm-hmm. No, man, I think that's a I think that's I think that's perfectly put, and I think um, I mean, I think every black boy whose dad was there, had that moment that you talked about. I remember living in the Elmwood Elmwood Court Projects in Paducah, Kentucky, and this boy was picking on me. And I came home crying because the boy was picking. He was, I was scared of this boy. And I I don't even think I need to explain what happened, right? I think you could probably finish telling the story of what happened next, but I know, but this is what happened. My dad got up out of his chair, had on his, his, his jeans and his wife beater, came outside and was like, where this boy at? So he walks me back to the playground. Hold on a second. So we just got disconnected real quick, but I don't I don't even think I need to explain to you, uh, like I said, what happened after I came home crying about this boy picking on me. I already know what happened. My, my dad got up out of his chair, and I'm like, where are you going? Oh, where are we going? We got out. We walked back to the park. And I'm like crying the whole way. I'm like, I don't want to go back. Yeah. He like walking me back. You going to fight him or you going to fight me? I don't care what you got to do. I don't care if he dog walk you. You about to, you about to fight him or you going to fight me. So we get there. And then there's other people in the projects that's out there. So now folks are like there now. Like, it's really like two dogs fighting, right? It's like a circle. And I look at my dad and he's like, who you want to fight? And um and and I fought the little boy. I don't remember if I won or not or whatever. But I remember that moment, and I think that a lot of. I, I think uh, I I think that's just that is just one of those things <laughs> that if you a black boy with a black dad and that type of stuff happens, like that's how things got handled in the eighties and the nineties or whatever, right? Because yeah. my dad was like. You, I can't have no punks in this house. Like, I just, I just, I can't have it, right? And I think, but here's the, here's the thing, and here's why I'm so glad that you're here. Because all those things that we talked about, like, I'm I'm a stronger person in my mind. Like, I think there are some things that are broken. Yeah. But I think that given the circumstances, bro, we lived in extreme poverty. Like, extreme poverty. Like, hey, the, the hot water's off, so we about to boil this water. And put this in a tub, say that water for your brother or whatever. Like, I think that just the circumstances of where we kind of had to grow up, people did the best 
with what they had. And one of the only things that you had at that time was kind of like your honor. Like, you know, are you going to be like, I think they call a, a dog that won't fight. It's like a cur or whatever. Right. Like, like you can't be a cur, man. Like, you know, and so I've never been the toughest dude. I've never been a dude looking for a bunch of fights, but I remember those moments. Um, so now when things happen to me though, in this 2018 real world or whatever, and like a boss says something crazy to me, or I'm out building my own company and my own organization, stuff that would break other people. Yeah. Well, you know, cause the one thing my dad, the one thing I took from my dad, I remember being really young and stuff like that, man. I was, and he always told me, don't worry about what nobody else got to say, but me. And <laughs> if they can't beat your ass, I don't know what you can, what you, what your worry is. Right. And like, but I'll be in board meetings, bro. I will be in a meeting with the mayor of the city, dog. I will be in a meeting with like a superintendent or I'll be like in a different state with like the governor. And I, that will come to my mind. Like they can't beat your ass. Say, say, speak your mind. Like, be, you know what I'm saying? And <laughs> to sure. be honest, and it's worked for me. Right. And so, yeah. you know, now with my pops, you know, he's a little, he's a little bit older than you. Um, still a young dude though, but you know, like he doesn't, the way in which you can kind of put these words together it's still hard for folks that grew up the way that we grew up to kind of really, you know, like, like I know, like my dad tells me he loves me and stuff now. And, and knowing where that stuff, knowing where he comes from, I can only imagine how, how hard that is to kind of say, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I think that's hard for folks, man. So, but, but I, <coughs> I think, me. but I think a lot of people, man, but now that I look, now we're in a totally different space in 2017, 2018. I think, um, I think that who we essentially have been built to be as men is, I don't want to say it's under attack because I don't want to sound, um, I think the things that make us who we are, like people say they want to see us, but they don't really want to see us. They don't really, I don't think people really want to hear what Ice Mike really got to say because it's, it scares them. I think it scares them. And I don't yeah. I, and, and I, I think that there's a lot of folks that don't want to see um I think there's a lot of folks that are scared of like confident black men. But I don't know, man. How do how do you feel about that? Like I completely agree with you, bro. Um I think that that um a, 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 the majority of people that I've met um who were not um uh people of color, they're intimidated by intelligent uh, black men. You know, like I'll give you an example. Um, there have been people, um, you know, who are not, you know, black, and and um, they say you're arrogant. You know, they call me arrogant and 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 cocky or shit like that, right? And and all it is is because I know what I want. Um, I'm confident. I'm intelligent. I know how to articulate myself. I'm not, you know, I'm not that dumbed down dude that they that like again the, all these images they see on TV. They think that that's who black people are, you know. So when they see something that's that's stronger than that, that that represents a, a different uh, a cut of cloth than that, um, it it's an, it intimidates them. Mm-hmm. And so what they do is that fear factor kicks in, and you know it's fight or flight. So they, their 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 response is to resist us, to oppress us, and you know and do things like that. And uh, so that's that's why I, I never reached out to white publishing companies when I started writing because. You know, I just don't think that they can appreciate what I'm trying to put out there. I I, I started at the bottom with with like uh, Wahida Clark Publishing, you know, and then uh you know I wiggled out of that contract, man. And I just started self publishing my, my doing my own thing because 
Um, I felt like nobody was really wanting to give me that that chance, so I took a chance on myself. But uh, yeah, I, I think absolutely, man. The majority of folks who are, are are not of color are intimidated by intelligent black men and even women. You know, they they intelli- mm-hmm. they intimidated by intelligent, strong-minded black women. They they put these uh these stereotypes out there like you know, strong black women are bitches and, you know, or, or, or stuck up and or this or that. And they do that because, you know, they they don't have any other description to call them because they're afraid of what, what the truth is. The truth is, man, this woman intimidates me. Mm-hmm. Man, this man, probably younger than me, intimidates me. Right. You know, and, and it's hard for people to acknowledge that somebody intimidates them or that they're fearful, fearful of a person. So, so they will say, you know, he's not right for this. Uh, he's too this, he's too that, and they put these negative connotations with it and these stereotypes. But I absolutely agree with you, bro. Um, I'm not, I'm not hella educated. I mean, I graduated high school. Uh, you know, most of my education came from my life experience. You know, and uh, I mean, I, I did a little bit of college uh, work, but it's in, it's in terms of like school book uh, education, I'm not the most intelligent dude, man. But I'm very intelligent in terms of when it comes to like writing, the common sense. The life, street life, you know, and life in general, you know, I'm I'm very educated about that, you know. So, I I, I think that uh people would like us to dumb it down, you know, mm-hmm. um and and that's you know since we, since we on that subject, that's one of the things about my writing that I take pride in, you know, is when I used to read urban books, I started off reading Iceberg Slim and Donald Goins, right. That's actually where I got my nickname from. I got Ice Mike from Iceberg Slim back in 1982 when uh, my moms brought me this this book pimp the story of my life and uh and um and them dudes wrote with a level of intelligence you know i mean they, their their narrative their storylines was, was off the hook but they were intelligently written as well mm-hmm. and, and and nowadays when when um when, when street lit and urban fiction you know uh, became popular again in, in like the last what 10 15 years mm-hmm. um it started off cool but then you kind of just got so watered down where you got anybody writing book everybody writing a book and and a lot of this shit is is like it's it's ridiculous because it's weak, it's watered down, the storylines are garbage, um, the character development is 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 is, is uh, underdeveloped, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I, I take pride in the fact that man, I, I write on a, a with a level of intelligence, you know. My characters are intelligent, you know. My narrative is intelligent because I want to project, even though you know it's a criminal lifestyle that I'm writing about, um, and and I'm and I'm and I'm um sliding, you know, these subtle conscious messages in there throughout uh, the, my books. I still, my characters, I want them to come across as being intelligent, strong-minded, you know, uh, able-bodied black men and women, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things I pride myself in, not dumbing my material down, you know? No, I think that's dope, man. I, I, I think that that's, that's, that's mad dope. And I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with Donald Goins and Iceberg. Um, and I was saying to you before we hopped on is, uh, I mean, those Chappelle specials are just, bro, it's amazing. It, I, yeah, my, sure I talked I about it on my last podcast. But yeah. he ends his last one. Like I said, 20 minutes is talking about. He uses Pimp, the book that you actually referenced, to explain why he had to leave his Comedy Central show. And yeah. basically, he told the story about at the end where he was trying to save uh, his, his, his best prostitute when she wanted to leave. And uh, the the whole thing with the hotel and the, and the, and the dead body and stuff, like yeah. he, he explained himself kind of as that person. Um, and how the industry was trying to kind of pimp him to get the pimp most him. out of him, and so um, I mean, I think I think that is books like that, man. I, that that kind of opened up for a lot of people. Whatever your entree is, for me, it was a uh, Malcolm X's autobiography, I, and I just man, remember reading man. that 
And I remember what that did for me. And yeah. then a book that actually hit me harder, which, you know, I know that that can sound sacrilegious to some people, but Invisible Man. When I when I read Invisible Man, and I don't really like fiction books, but Invisible Man is, a, not that I don't like it, but I've always been drawn to nonfiction books. But the story of Invisible Man is so visceral. Like it is so, he so explained um, the process of what it was like growing up as a young black man. And, and there's a part, I don't yeah. know if you read Invisible Man, but there's a I part. So there's a part. So basically, it's about this young black man who, throughout the book, doesn't have a name. Like he's a yeah. he's invisible to society. So he gets to college, and these white people they seem decent. Like they really they do kind of want to help him. So they like find another black person at the college to like that's supposed to take him under their wing and like take care of them and like help them better understand, right? And basically, that man um, undercut and undermine. Uh, the narrator at every turn and got him like out of there. Right. And was basically like, these, my white people. Yeah. It is so many. And that's just one of the many little stories of things that happened to this guy on his journey. But Ralph Ellison, what he did with a pen, yo, like he was just such an amazing writer. And as somebody who likes like fiction work, I, I would, I think that you'd enjoy it because it is that, that whole book is a character study. Um, yeah. But it took so much out of him. He never published another book. It was that good. It was that good. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have to check that out. I'm gonna have to yeah, check that out. Yeah, yeah. And and so um I don't know, man. I just think that I think that what you're doing is special, man. I think that any way that we can help to kind of get that out. So um in the podcast, in the description, there'll be places where you can go. Are the books all on Amazon? Yeah, they're on Amazon, Kindle, uh some available on Barnes and Noble. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of a sketchy little situ- situation with them. But you know, I just signed a three book deal with um with um, a, a publishing company in Georgia, in Atlanta, Georgia, called uh, Seven Figures, you know? And mm-hmm. um, so that's where my next book is going to be coming out on Seven Figure Publication. And, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, I make sure I, I do, like, little one-minute one, one minute clips on uh, on my Instagram, Ice Mike Right Now, mm-hmm. uh, my Facebook. Um, I don't really involve myself too much in, in the Facebook and Twitter, but I want to eventually, you know, start doing that. It's, it's, you know, being fresh out, I have so much stuff on my plate you know, it's it's like uh, one is I want to enjoy my freedom, but yeah. then I, man, I got to start working. In, I got to start working soon. Um, I'm selling these books. I'm trying to really get these books out there because I prefer just to write and, and sell books, and that and that right. be the way I make a living. You know, but uh, so I got to get my name out there. I got to get exposure to the world. And uh, but um, that uh, deeply rooted man. It's I guarantee you, man. Um, whether if if you like James Patterson, you like Robert Ludlum, uh, you like Stephen King. You know, you like uh, Ashley and Jaquavis. If you, if you like any of these 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 top notch writers of the day, man, I'm right along with them. Man, my my storylines are intricate, um, intelligently written. My characters are developed real proper, like you know. And and um, one of the compliments I constantly get from everybody who, re- who reads my books that I talk to is, man, it is so descriptive. I felt like I was right there. I, I was right. there. You know, I got it. And um, so I try to I try to paint portraits with it. You know, it's that's that's something that I that I, I take pride in and really being a, a student of the game or the art of storytelling. You know, I don't just want to just put some product out there because I'm able to. I want to put some product out there because one, I can. But also I want some I want people talking about my shit when they finish with it. You know, I, I want them looking forward to the next book and and and, uh, and things like that. So uh, most definitely this is this is what I'm going to be doing. But I want to throw this out there, too, you know. Um, cause you said it's a lot of, a lot of black folks, you know, in, in, uh, in the Bay area and maybe, you know, uh, uh, elsewhere, um, who may be listening right now. Right. And I'm not just an author, 
you know, who writes urban fiction. You know, I've written a children's book. I write poetry. Um, and and um, one of the things that I'm, 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 I'm working on right now is I have this 12-week uh, creative writing curriculum, right? And the curriculum is designed to really, you know, target um, at-risk youth between the ages of like, uh, say, 12 to 24 or, so, or something. And and um to to invite them into to to learning how to to tap into their emotionality, you know, to tap into you know some of the things that they've been through and and their experiences in life and and express it in a creative uh, form. But also, it's like a you know that therapy session where you go back, you venture back to whatever this pain is that causes anger within you, this shame within you, whatever it may be, and you express it in writing. You and you present it to people. You you you're able to um. So to one, you you confront it and you and you uh, you deal with it, but then also you ex- you express it and you get it out of your system, so you conquer that, you know. And so that's one of the things I you know I have a very it's it's, like, it's an in depth uh, twelve week uh, creative writing curriculum that if if and and I, right now I'm doing it on a voluntary basis um, wherever I get the opportunity to, man. But um, it involves poetry, different writing prompts to just force you to to think about yourself. Like I got a bunch of different prompts. Like for instance, I give you one called. Um, Time stood still when, and then I just let you fill it in for 15 minutes. You write about when time stood still, and and usually I, I'll let them know ahead of time. I proceed that with you know think about a tra- a very trying or traumatizing incident, you know, or something that's really deep. So when they're when they're when they're thinking about it and they're and they're using that 15 minutes to write, man, they're talking about like somebody who passed away, mm-hmm. you know, a homeboy who got murdered or something like that. And now they're able to get that shit out of their system versus suppressing it and constantly keeping it in, you know, and not having a, a vehicle or a release uh, uh, point, you know. So I also do that. So if it's anybody out there that need, you know, that creative writing curriculum brought to the, their, their um, organization, uh, their school or whatever, man, I'm with that. I'm, I'm all the way with that, you know. No, I think that's dope, man. I actually, so the company that I run is called Energy Converters. And that's kind of, basically my whole thing is around, the things that happen to you are, are, are whether good or bad, you got to find a way to take that energy and build something positive from it. So, so my, my young people have published over 40 pieces. I have a, a fellowship of 20 young people and basically it's three phases. And the first phase is what you just talked about. I don't, they just write whatever there's on their mind. They can write and yeah. some of them wrote about somebody dying. Some of them wrote about the teacher that they like, the teacher that they don't like. After they get to about five pieces, we go back and look at those and we actually use what's called youth participatory action research um, is not very different from what you described though. And we find the trends and the threads from all they're writing. And it's actually saying, Oh, actually, man, you was writing about teacher quality or you was writing about uh, like this equity issue. And then they do research on that thing. Like they actually go and learn that piece. And then that, that third phase is them deciding what project they want to kind of take on. And so we've, we've published about 45 uh, original pieces so far, man. But it's is is similar. Uh, the 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 undercurrent of what that is is very similar to what it is that you're saying, and I think that is interesting. That I think our our the way we grew up isn't exactly the same, but I think there's a dotted line there. I think that we have a shared experience of being like oh, yeah. young black men raised by black folks, and 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 I think that it's it's interesting that the things when we're allowed to create we automatically go to healing other people, whereas <laughs> other people don't always get tasked with having to do that kind of deep work, right? Like everything that we do is a reflection of, damn, I done did a lot of stuff in the past. How do I make amends for this? How do I, my, my yeah. motto is 
how do I leave more in the world than I took from it? Because I done took a lot. Like, I know I got dirt. I know I done did a bunch of stuff, right? Like, yeah. And I feel blessed. And I think that, um, man, I, I just think that it's been really powerful listening to you. And I, this definitely won't be the last time that you get on. I mean, just let me know. Anytime you want to get on, anytime you want to do this, we should yeah. just do it. And I Absolutely. can help you just create your own. Like, I can actually help you create your own thing. Um, man, I'd even donate. Um, if you got a computer, man, I got an extra microphone and I'll give you and I'll show you how to just do it on your own because I think it's a good way to kind of build the outlet to kind of help sell your books. And I'm just yeah. willing to do that because I I, I, uh, I don't think that we're that different. And, and, and we are folks that could have had the exact same, you know, path. Here's how my path turned out because I don't even think I told you, you know, I went. Um, I ended up going, I had a few basketball scholarships that I didn't take, but I stayed local. I went to college out here. Um, I became a social worker after college. And then I went back to grad school again. Um, and then I was running this nonprofit to kind of help young people get in and through college. Um, and then I went to go help and train teachers and I worked in a school district and I, and I did all this stuff. Um, I'm, I'm working on my doctorate right now in education. That's what's up. And being in those spaces, right? Like, like you were saying that people might look at you because you don't have all that education, but you're a smart dude. Even with all the education I got, I'm usually in the majority of rooms I walk into, I'm the most educated person, but it still don't matter. They still look at you the same way. I yeah. still have to make people feel uh, comfortable when I'm in the space. So I, I might be at my office and I make sure I say hi to everybody just so you're not subconsciously afraid of me you know what i'm saying even though i just told you like i'm not i'm i'm i i, I wasn't built for the street for the street show like yeah. if this is if this is the wire i don't know you probably didn't get a chance to see the wire but like i'm not i'm not the thugs in the wire i would have been not that guy yeah. i would have been the dookie kid the kid who uh whose parents was on drugs and at the end you know the wire goes in a circle and you see dookie kind of going off to like go do drugs and stuff so I think that regardless of what spectrum we ended up on, I still think we get seen similar. And I think that we always come back to our roots and our roots have told us, yo, we got to add value back to our people. Like we got to break these cycles and we got to break a cycle, but we also got to protect those people. Like I, I can't let white folks get a hold of my dad's story without me, without me talking about his transformation. You know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't let them get a hold of your story without hearing what actually ended up happening. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. no doubt. Yeah. If you don't understand where folks came from, like, like my dad was a hard dude. And like, because you know, when he was in jail, he light skinned like you are. Somebody say something slick, you know, he you tried to get not, that job. Right? Yeah. You got to get that job, you know? Right. I don't want to have to fight every day. So let me make sure that this first fight is the good one. Right? Have a demonstration. Yeah. That, you yeah. know, we call that a demonstration, you know? Right. I'm going to put this demo down, man. And I'm going to make sure, you know, cats ain't going to come hollering at me like that no more, you know? Right. Okay. And so in the business world, like, I, I mean, but I still operate, like, those are the values that I operate on, right? Like, I, and in the business world, like, if somebody came at me professionally, like, I'm going to get you up out of here, like all the way out of here. And I'm not going to stop and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Like, it's not a, like, I, I think that's the thing that scares people is that they feel like we don't have emotions that we turn them off. And it's like, no, we do. Um, but there's just a way in which we had to kind of survive. And so I want to make sure that we keep this conversation going, man. So Mike, I am going to put up 
where people can buy your books. I'm going to put hyperlinks. If you're listening to this on a podcast, go to the description. You can just click it and it'll take you to the page to go buy those things. If you're listening on Facebook under this video, I'll make sure that I link each book, not just one of them. I'll link all of them. Um, and whatever messages you send for Mike, um, cause, oh, he's on all social media as ice Mike right now. And that's not, uh, let me spell it. It's ice Mike, like rights with a W now. Um, but it'll be down here so you can click it. Um, but that's at ice Mike right now. Um, and Mike, if you really do want to like get this thing popping around like your own podcast or whatever it is, man, let me know how I can help, bro. I will invest in however, I, in, in whatever way I can. Um, yeah. like well, I, for sure. I mean, most definitely, you know, eventually I, I want to evolve and grow into mm -hmm. where I can expand, you know, uh, whatever it is I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So uh, most definitely, you know, I, I'll take you up on that. Um, you know, when the time is right, uh, right now, man, I just want, I want to appreciate, I want to tell you, man, that I truly appreciate the opportunity, man. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, and what you're doing, you know, because when I got out, one of the biggest frustrations, man, was like, I expected, I, I, I don't know why, but I expected, you know, black people in particular to assist me, to help me, to rip, to uplift me. And that wasn't happening, you know, and I was, I was discouraged by that, you know, I, especially being in, in Oakland, in the Bay Area. I'm like, man, it's the home of the Black Panthers. I mean, you know, this is the birthplace of the Black Panthers. How I don't get no love like that. But, but then it started happening, you know, like my partner, I got a partner named Tyson Amir. He wrote black boy poems, man. And he, you know, very prominent spoken word artist in the Bay Area. And, uh, man, he took me, uh, you know, to do some uh, work with him at a high school, Fremont High. And so and then I started running into people, man, black folks, and they started uplifting me. So that discouragement I initially felt, it started happening. And now here it is, and I'm talking to you, and I'm getting the same kind of love where you shouting out my books. You, you, you know, you propping me up. And I just want to tell you, man, from the bottom of my heart, bro, I appreciate it because it's not enough of us out there. I mean, there are cats out there who are doing it, sisters and brothers who are doing it, right. but it's just not enough of us out there doing the, the thing where we're uplifting one another and, and, and we're trying to prop each other up and make each other better versus break each other down and, you know, tear right. each other down. You feel me? Yeah, man. Like I said, and I, and I want to make sure I have you on a few more times. I got so many things I want to talk to you about, bro. I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about the prison industrial complex. I want to talk to you about your experience there. I actually want to put you on my dad on the podcast or like do it. Yeah, where y'all together and y'all just had that conversation, man. I, I, I think if we talking about really breaking down that stuff from like, and really healing and really like, what does it mean to be a black man in 2018? Because like, I've, I mean, I'm I'm not a person that's gonna complain about certain things, but I went to the Bahamas a few months ago, right? Like, I can't, I can't. I'm so far away from where I started. And I'm so blessed. <laughs> you know sure. what I'm saying? I'm just keeping it real, man. But there are things like there is a weight. I mean, my whole dissertation, all of my work in my doctoral program is figuring out the question I'm asking is how do what are the blacks what are the skills that black males develop to be successful in school, and then also what is the toll that that takes on them into adulthood for them constantly having to do more for them constantly having to like endure more. Right. Like I, that is the quest that I'm on in this program. And so I think that, um, and I just, I just want people to see more of us. And, and, and I like that we got to have a real conversation. It was not, we didn't try to over explain things for people. We didn't try to like, you know, we didn't have to hold and hold hands and baby folks through stuff. Like we didn't yeah. have to whiten it up. Like I just wanted yeah. to have 
talk yeah, with sure. somebody that looks like me and that talks like me that's doing something positive man so if there's any other way i can support you you let me know um you tell me and you tell these people what support looks like and uh we'll definitely do it again so for everybody that's listening man as i always say take care of yourselves take care of each other um check on your people man check on folks see how they doing ask them how they doing have those conversations man um and uh, I just appreciate everything I'm able to do, and I'm highly blessed, man. This is Charles Cole for the Cold World uh, Podcast. Uh, for Mike Davis, we signing off. Peace. Uh-